today? Not Peter. It's not Peter, but it's somebody else who is on the platform. It's me, you're right. No. Amanda, why don't you come on up? Come on. I believe uh, there, there's cake, delicious cake, the cake that Amanda loves with no vegetables in it. Amanda is allergic to all vegetables. <laughs> all right, Numbers chapter 20 for tonight's through the Old Testament study. We've made it to Numbers chapter 20. Now, Father God, as we turn our hearts toward heaven to consider your word from the same place, we pray that we would open our hearts, we would receive the word of God for what it is, the words of life breathed from heaven into our souls to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go. Numbers 20 marks the end of 40 years of wandering. A perfect prophetic picture of a life disconnected from God through willful rebellion toward him. Now, you know, that bumper sticker, not all who wander are lost. I've brought that up before because I can't stand that bumper sticker. (laughs) Not all who wander are lost, really. Try telling one of these Jews that. You know, not those Jews, the Jews who are wandering. I wasn't pointing to Jews. Everybody turned to look at these four Jews right here. The Jewish section. <laughs> All right, let me try that again. Try asking one of, one of those Jews about wandering in the wilderness. It was no fun. They're lost. They want to go to the promised land. They're not getting there. You know what they're becoming experts in? Riding a merry-go-round. She'll be coming around the mountain. They're good at that song. They keep singing that. Why? They won't do it God's way. They know God's way. He made it very clear to them in their own language. He made them short little sentences, about ten of them. Anybody could read and understand, and he was speaking very clearly. They will not do it. They say they'll do it all the time. Oh, we will do all that the Lord has commanded us. Then they don't. Then they go around in circles and circles and circles. The New Testament writers are hopeful of better things for us with time to reflect on their bad behavior. You know, it says in Hebrews 4, we have also had the good news preached to us, as did they, but their good news was no value to them 
because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. In other words, it says they did not go in. This is Hebrews chapter 4. They did not go in because of their disobedience. So today, now listen to this, always reflecting. So today, do not harden your hearts if you hear the Lord speaking to you, lest you fall short of the promise of rest. And the promise of rest is always connected to the promised land. The promised land and rest and peace and contentment of heart and that wellness, that shalom. Shalom is more than just an absence of conflict. It's a total well-being, a, a sense that everything is okay. And he says, you will never have that. The, the wicked will never see that rest. No rest for the wicked. Isaiah, what is that? 48 Verse 22, no rest for the wicked and no rest for those who act wickedly, whether you're a Christian or not. So there's no exemption there. And so Numbers 20 is the fulfillment of a promise. You know, God is faithful with all his promises, even the painful ones. Have you considered that? In the day you eat of this, you will die. You will bring death, not only to your own bodies, but to creation and to relationship. God opposes the proud. He fights against the proud. That's a promise. He's faithful to keep all his promises. We tend to think of God as faithful in his promises to bless, but not to bring judgment or chastisements. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It's a promise. And here in Numbers 20, where we see the older generation dying off, is a fulfillment of what he said in Numbers 14. In Numbers 14, they were showing contempt for what God calls the tenth time. It's really a symbolic number of, I've had it up to here, you've had all of your chances, it's done. I don't know that it was a literal ten times. But he said, enough, you're not going in. I swear in my anger, you shall never enter my rest. And Numbers 20 is showing the fulfillment of God's promise and the consequences of behaving badly. There are always consequences. So God keeps all of his promises, the painful ones, too. I love Galatians 6, where it says, this is a paraphrase, which I really enjoy this paraphrase. Don't be fooled. No one will ever be able to mock God by saying, see, I lived a sinful life. And I got away with it. Oh, no. You will always reap the consequences for how you live. And it works both ways. Please your sinful nature. You will be destroyed. It's a promise. Please God and you will be blessed. It's a promise. So either way. So he said that they'd never enter his rest. The older generation would die. And Miriam is dying. Miriam, Moses' sister, the prophetess. She's no exception. She's part of the older crowd. And then we see Moses. So we pick up from where we left off last week. Moses is no exception because he's showing contempt. The same sin that the uh, Israelites are showing God. Moses falls into the same thing, shows the Lord contempt. And as we saw last week, there are painful consequences for doing so. Now, the context, as we pick up here in Numbers 20, is that the younger generation has matured. And they're on the edge of the promised land again. And they're starting to get into military formation to march into the promised land again. 
Moses has just disobeyed the Lord. Instead of speaking to the rock in faith, he strikes the rock in anger. Water flows, and so did his tears. And now as he's composing himself, we see them getting ready to go into the promised land. You know, for us who are observing all of this, you can't help but be filled with joy about what we have in Christ. You see, we've got Yeshua. We've got the Joshua. We've got the eternal Joshua. We've got the sacrifice once and for all. Listen to what Hebrews says. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So we're being made holy. We're cooperating. We're not perfect yet. But in God's economy, that cross and believing in what Christ did for me makes me perfect in his sight. So we have just the right sacrifice. We have a new, we're a new creation. We have a clean conscience. We have a transformed will. And now the inner dwelling of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in me. Romans chapter 8, verse 4. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. How much less of an excuse do I have if they had no excuse? They saw God, God's wonderful hand, his provision from heaven, the manna, the water from the rock, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day. The Ten Commandments on tablets of stone, they had no excuse. They heard the voice of God. How much less of an excuse us with the fulfillment of all of that. And so we're going to pick up now. They are getting ready to march, and everything looks like it's a go. But, you know, something's going to happen here. Verse 14. Moses sent messengers now. They're all getting ready. They're ready to march into the land. Moses sends messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom, the town in front of them, saying, This is what your brother Israel says. You know about all the hardships that have come upon us. Our ancestors went down into Egypt and we lived there many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our ancestors. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now we are here at Kadesh a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or vineyard, drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom answered, you may not pass through here. If you try, we will march out and attack you with the sword. The Israelites replied, we will go along the main road. And if we or our livestock drink any of your water, we will pay for it. We only want to pass through on foot, nothing else. Again, they answered, you may not pass through. Then Edom came out against them with a large and powerful army. Since Edom refused to let them go through their territory, Israel turned away from them. All right, that's where we're going to stop tonight. We're going to examine this because there are quite a lot of insights here, especially if you are dealing with somebody 
with whom you are at odds. There's a lot of wisdom here tonight because this is a document sent to the king of Edom requesting permission for something, a need. But they're at odds, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Now, for you note-takers, you'll be thrilled with this little part. We're in the fifth and final approach to the promised land. The exodus is divided by scholars up into five phases. All right, so here's a map. They start out over there. Slavery, okay? So, first stage is from Egypt to Mount Sinai. Exodus 12.31 to 18.27. So, stage one goes from here across the Red Sea to Sinai. That's stage one, leg one of the Exodus. And those are the verses, all right? Stage two is the sojourn at Mount Sinai. So they hang out here for stage two from Exodus 19, verse 1, to Numbers chapter 10. All of those chapters, they're just sitting right there, getting the Ten Commandments, building the tabernacle according to the plan, and then Numbers chapters 1 to 9 that we've just been through all take place. They have not moved from Sinai. Leg number three goes from the first approach to the promised land beginning at Mount Sinai, but being aborted at Kadesh the first time with the refusal to enter the promised land in faith. So Numbers 10, verse 11, to Numbers 14. All right? So the third goes from Sinai. All this is what we've been talking about, all the bad boy trouble. All right? It's been in there. They get up to here. That's number three. All right? Now, number four, the leg of number four, the phase four, is the 38 years of wandering until the generation of unbelief had died, right where we're at. Numbers 15, verse 1, to Numbers 20, verse 13, right where we left off last time. They're wandering around here. All right? This is the desert where they wander. Now, here, they ask Edom for permission to go straight up. And Edom says no. Now they have to go around Edom. And there, they're going to cross the Jordan in Joshua chapter 3 there. And they're going in, this is the promised land, right here. Instead of going straight up, they have to go around because Edom said, you are not passing through. You try it, we kill you. All right? So we're going to talk about that now. Thanks for showing the map. Now, You know, I'm thankful that in Jesus Christ as a Christian, there's one stage to find the promised land. Obedience and faith. You come to Christ, you're there. You can stay there. You don't have to wander. I'm just grateful for that. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That just doesn't sound that hard, does it? Now, when we say final approach, this is the fifth and final approach. You know when the stewardess comes on and she says, ladies and gentlemen, you know, adjust your seat backs into the upright position and your trays and all of that. Final descent. Sounds like, whoa, we're almost there. Well, (laughs) not so here, right? We see the little detour that has to go on there. A fat detour at that. Edom is not going to let them go 
through. The easiest route would be on the King's Highway, a major trade route, but that's not going to happen. So Moses understands, number one, the verses begin with negotiation. Moses is sending a delegation of diplomats to go ahead. He's aware, certainly, that there's bad blood between Edom and the Israelites. They have a long history of that. Now there are two to three million people. They may seem threatened by this. So he says, number one, let's negotiate. I got this figured out. The way to get into the promised land right now is negotiation. That will make sense. Let's reason logically and graciously with these people. But it's not going to work. The first misstep in the final approach, which costs a lot of time and energy, is self-reliance. What's missing here? The cloud of glory. In Numbers 9, Israel's not allowed to move unless the cloud moves. He says, you follow me. When I stay for one day, you stay for one day. If I stay for a week, you stay for a week. When the cloud moves, you follow me, and I will shield you from that hot desert sun. Follow me. They didn't go anywhere take a left or a right without being led. They had to be led. God's people are not people who lead themselves. They have a God who leads them. Now Moses knows this, but where's the cloud? There's no mention of the cloud. Where's the prayer? There's no mention of God in the paragraph except in passing. Where's the command of the Lord? And then the Lord said and spoke. There's none of that. There's Moses saying, you know what? I was trained in Pharaoh's court how to negotiate. I'm very good at this. There's trouble up ahead. They're foreign. I'm trained in this. Let me use my knowledge and my skills and my experience to figure this out. And that's what happens here. And there's a problem there. Where's the cloud? There's a cloud, all right. He's in the fog. His sister just died. He just lost his cool in front of a couple million Jews. The Lord just said to him, you know what, buddy? Forty years of work. You're not going over. You're going to die on some mountain here. Just You can see it, but you're not going to lead them in. He's in a fog. So he says, you know what? Let's do this. Uh, let's do this according to my strength and my ability. He's not thinking clearly. And that's going to be the heart of the problem. Paul the Apostle knew better. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, not that we're competent for anything in ourselves, but the Lord makes us competent. In Romans chapter 9, he says, Paul does. It doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Paul knows 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Lord says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. And so Paul says, got it. Then most gladly, I will therefore boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Moses isn't boasting in his weakness. He's relying on his own strength. Let's negotiate. He does it with a lot of wisdom. And I'm going to suggest we follow that wisdom when it is indeed the Lord's will. But. In this case, he needed to show his brokenness before God, his weakness. Sometimes 
he'll let you and help you flee to Tarshish like Jonah and do things on your own. But it will be a most unpleasant journey, one writer said. And so, so perhaps God had planned to deal with Edom and allow Israel to have safe passage, but we'll never know now because Moses just got the cart in front of the horse. Now, how to negotiate? Let's look at this. Commentators say this is like the actual document that got sent to the king. Let's take it apart and look at it because there's a lot of wisdom and insight. I think how to do business with somebody with whom you're at odds, as I mentioned before. A lot of insight. Verse 14, number one, he says to the king there, he says, number one, he appeals to love. We're family. We're brothers. He says that we have our ancestors, our fathers, he mentions twice. Now, do you remember Abraham and Isaac? Of course, Isaac had two boys, twins, Esau and Jacob. Jacob fathers the 12 tribes, and he's the father of Israel. But his twin brother Esau is a godless man, and he and his descendants settle in Edom. And so Esau's descendants become... Edomites. So Abraham says, brothers, we have the same father, Isaac. We have the same granddaddy, Abraham. Technically, we're Jews. We're in the same household, man. 430 years later, here we find ourselves. And so, you know, finding common ground with people with whom you're at odds is helpful. Uh, but not as helpful as it can be, because the apples have not fallen very far from the tree, from Esau. Uh, They're uninterested, like Esau was, in spiritual matters. They're carnal, they're worldly, they're unwise, and they're going to make some bad choices. Family ties to hard hearts who want nothing but their own selfish, sinful way means nothing. It doesn't matter about mama's tears, (laughs) It doesn't matter about a crushed wife or a crushed husband. Nothing matters but the selfish will of the sinner. Once you embrace your own selfish desire, like Esau did, and they're just like Esau. He says, brothers, we're brothers. They don't care. They don't care. Verses 15 and 16, so he appeals to love. Now he appeals to sympathy. He says, you know, we've been through hell. Our ancestors, our ancestors, yours and ours, ours, wound up in Egypt. And the Egyptians enslaved us and put us through hell for years. But God heard our cry and saved us and brought us out. Verses 15 and 16. So there's an appeal to love and and, and kindred spirit and an appeal to sympathy. This is what we do. Appeal to sympathy. Give us a break. Man, we've suffered here. But compassion and mercy cannot be found in a godless heart. Just remember that. When you need mercy and you're looking for mercy and you're asking for mercy, just forget about it if the person is not in touch with the Lord. Mercy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, my friend. Non-Christians do not have a merciful bone usually in their bodies. Christians have a hard enough time with mercy. 
you wrong me. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I still want to wrong you back. I'm sorry. That's how we are. You see? But he's like, hey, brothers, number one, brothers. Oh, we got the same father. Oh, we're family. Number two, oh, we've been through hell, man. Come on, we just got to cut through here. We've been doing this thing for 40 years after they put us through hell. Who cares? We don't care about you. We only care about us, just like Esau. I care about mommy and daddy. I care about I'm hungry right now. I've got a bowl of fresh food right there steaming in front of me. I don't care about God, spiritual things, nothing but my appetite. Number three, he brings God up. He says, and he appeals. He acknowledges that God, you know, he's alive. He heard us. He's acting. He says, by the way, the Lord busted us out of the place and he's brought us here. So does it make sense to resist us and say no? Because God is working with us. Just, you know, BTW, by the way, God is with us. You're acknowledging God in all your ways and he will make your path straight. Apparently not if there's a hard heart there. Not in touch with God, not in touch with spiritual matters, not interested in any of that. No love, no mercy, no sympathy, and no fear of God. Look at Moses' approach with God. He's just mentioning God as what he's done for them. He's not saying, oh, and by the way, God is with us. And you don't let us through. You know, we're God's people and God's just going to bully you over. No, he says, God has just been really good. I'm just bringing up the fact that there is a God and he happens to be with us. And he's behind all of this. And you might want to open the door to us and let us through to gain his favor. Uh-uh. We don't care that you're kin with us. We don't care that you've been through hell. We don't care that there's a God. We just care about us, our appetites, our bowl of stew in front of us, our women, our Friday nights. It's all that matters to us. Cry your eyes out. Not going to change a thing. He goes on, sixteen seventeen. It's honest, his appeal. Uh, By the way, we're over here on the next hill. Polite and humble. Please, let us pass through your country. Is it really their country? I'm not sure about that. I think theologically you can make a case that it really belongs to the Lord. But, you know, he says, hey, polite, humble, honest. Please, let us pass through your country. You know what? They don't care that you're using humility. They don't care that you're being polite and gracious. How gracious and meek and mild. Responsible. We won't trash your place. We won't drink your water. We got our own supply. I just found out the hard way. (laughs) All you got to do is speak to that thing. We got it covered. God will meet our needs. We don't need you to meet our needs. We got the bread. We got the water. We won't turn right. We won't turn left. We will not even put on our blinkers. We won't take any exit ramps. We'll go straight through the highway. And if by chance one of these groups gets cut free and they do some damage or they drink your water, we'll pay for it. How about money? We'll bring money into the equation. No. No, thank you. So after all of that, the answer arrives. No. Try to cut through. We'll kill you. Verse 19. Moses, come back. 
Oh, come on, please. That's what he does. We won't exit. We won't drink your water. How about money? Now, at that verse, and then it could have said, and then Moses said, let's all pray and ask the Lord. God, where are you in all of this? They just said, no, what should we do? Oh, no, 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 no. Just more words. That'll fix it. Just keep arguing. Come on, please. And they say, answer in verse 20. What about no? Did you not understand? (laughs) Now, that's a bad move. That's a bad move. Uh, I'm sure that they heard. Oh, you know, Grandpa, Grandpa Abraham. Oh, one night he heard the voice of the Lord, and the voice of the Lord said, Abraham, oh, I'm going to give you a million kids. And anybody mess with them, I'll mess with them. They bless you, I'll bless them. If they curse you, I'll curse them. I'm sure the Edomites know that little promise. They don't care. They do not care. Now, you want to find out what happens to them? You could read Amos chapter 1 or the whole book of Obadiah. They don't exist anymore. There's no such thing as an Edomite. Because they like to do rude gestures to the Lord with their hands. Now, they don't exist. Moving on. Now, that's all I really wanted to get out walking through it. Now things I personally, in my own little journal, I took for me. All right? And I'll let you hear what I write down for me. I see several things for me. Number one, I see a whole lot of wasted time and effort trying to forge his own path. So number one, as I'm getting older... Now, you know, I'm over a half century now. You know, amen, Mike, thank you for that amen. <laughs> I understand that I'm not going to live forever. Now, you young'uns think you're going to live forever. But when you get to be my age, you realize I might not make it to forever. I don't want to waste another day. You know how much trouble he wasted? How much time and energy? He could have just said, Lord, where do we go from here? I'm broken. My sister just died. I just made the biggest mistake of my life. I ruined my entire ministry. Um, I'm, I'm not seen straight. My brother Aaron's about to die in about 15 verses. <laughs> he probably didn't put it that way. I'm a mess. God, what do I do? The land's right over there. The Edomites, you know, we haven't been friends for 430 years. What do we do, God? What do we do? I'm weak. I'm broken. I'm in a fog. Lead me. It'd be a whole lot better than trying to figure things out yourself and do it Dr. Laura's way instead of the Lord's way or Dr. Phil's way or some lady on the view's way or Oprah's way, or some psychology book's way. I'm sorry. I'm on a roll tonight. I personally think that, all right, maybe not. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keep, keeps awake in vain. 
I don't want to waste any more time. That means admitting my weakness, humbling myself, waiting on the Lord, doing things God's way, obeying. Number two, I wrote down for me, sometimes it's best to save your breath when you have a fool on the other end. Now, let me explain that to you. Um, Proverbs 26.4, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be like him. Proverbs 9.7, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. So when there's self-centered pride and arrogance and absence of fear of God, that would be defined as a biblical fool. And Moses thinks, I'll just turn up the volume and I'll repeat the argument over and over again. Moses is very surprised that these people can't reason logically or scripturally. So he just keeps trying. And it's not going anywhere. When I see a glazed look, and I have tried and poured out my heart and showed the scriptures, and the scripture and the glazed look is still there, my friend, that's when I start communicating satellite. Now, what I do is I send a signal this way to the Lord, and then He sends a signal to them because He's within their hearts usually. sitting across from a young man who says, I'm going to move in with my girlfriend. And I said, well, what do your Christian parents think about that? Oh, they're against it. How about your youth pastor? He's against it. And you're coming to me now. What do you think about what I'm going to say? Well, you're probably against it. He told me all the mitigating factors. I was still against it. I said, what does the Bible say about it? It's against it. And here's the line. I know it's wrong, but. The but means nothing that came before this matters. We have erased everything. And so, um, in those cases, when I say you just don't care that God promises to judge you as a Christian to do that. And he shrugs. Blank stare. It is a mistake to say, come on, please, let's send back the other delegation. Let's just, more words, more words, more manipulation, more behavior. Oh, more of man's logic to get through to you, to, to, to win you to common sense. Ah, it will not work. You're wasting your time. Prayer, fasting, and living out your faith in a genuine way will be a million times more effective than a well-chosen, eloquently delivered argument. Pray fast. So it's not so much the argument as, or having the right words as much as a work of God in another person's heart. So you're at odds with, these, with this person, and you're like, what is going on? You just said, you, you don't even think what you're doing is right. Nobody around you that you trust thinks you're doing the right thing. But you're doing it anyway. Glaze look. Ah, stop. You're wasting your time. In fact, you will make matters worse, which Moses did. 
He made it worse by saying, now, come on, really, can I just, maybe you didn't catch the first paragraph because I repeat the same thing. Stop. Go to God in prayer. The fervent prayer of a, of a, of a what's the word? Righteous. I was thinking godly, and then I think, I no, it's not godly. All right. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, King James, which just says it gets a lot done. Prayer. Talk to God about it. Yes, bring the gospel. Speak the truth to the lost. Warn those who are going astray. But remember, it's so much more than reasoning and a logic uh, argument or any anything you can do. It's all up to God. For me, and kind of on the way to closing, perhaps the saddest thing of all, at least I was honest with that. I saw a lot more over here. Oh, no, it's almost better. It's almost done. What am I saying? The family feud. That's the saddest part for me. They're brothers. They're relatives. They look the same in the face. They come from the same stock. They, it's sad. Warren Wearsby. It's tragic when a family feud is kept alive from generation to generation, poisoning hearts and minds and keeping family members from helping one another. It started with a hard heart with Esau. No mercy, no forgiveness, just a stubborn digging in of heels. You've wronged me, Jacob, and Jacob did. And now you will live to, for- to regret it, I should say. And you will never forget this. Did Esau know that 430 years, they would never forget it? Because he poisoned 430 years later. They're still acting like Esau acted. There's no break. There's no love. Nobody had the courage to say, let's stop this. And as far as it depends on me, to be at peace, to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And man, you know what, mom and dad, you want to mess up your life, that's one thing. But when you pass that on to a generation, and you do, they're watching you. You have a moral obligation not to pass your bitter problems onto your kids. You're training them. This is how you act when such and such goes on in my life. You have to be careful for that. Children of God are peacemakers, Jesus said. So, children of God, Christians drop the matter before a fight breaks out. Proverbs 17, 14. They forgive and show mercy because they're commanded to. Luke 6, 37. They overlook insults, Proverbs 12 and verse 16. They cover over offenses, Proverbs 17, 9. They turn the other cheek. They go the extra mile. They love their enemies. This is how you break the cycle. By acting like a, children of, a child of God and not a child of the world. And it's very hard to do. As far as it depends on you, be at peace, the Bible says. Are things better because of you? Or are they more difficult because of your actions and your behavior? Are we more 
close to peace and reconciliation because of your actions? Or are we further away because of them? God knows, plain and simple, that you don't have control over the other parties. You only have control with your own heart and life. So what are you doing with your own heart and life? He has high expectations for you, my friend. So in conclusion, Israel turns away from them. Um, This refusal made the journey for them a lot harder, more discouraging, more dangerous, as you'll see next chapter. But Israel still commanded to treat the Edomites as a brother. God here shows Israel how to leave the judgment of those who hurt you up to the Lord and how to love those who have acted as enemies against you, even if they were your brothers. I was talking to a pastor who said, I have a brother who's dogged me for 30 years in a subtle way. He's jabbed me for 30 years, making me feel not valued. Sibling rivalry doesn't answer my calls. Drives me crazy. And he said to me, it makes me want to hurt him back. And as a pastor, he says, it's really hard to stoop, to find myself stooping to that level. God says, don't stoop to that level. When somebody hurts you, you're not getting through to that person. You respond in the opposite spirit. You be sweet. You be kind. You be loving. Do not drink their cup of poison. You'll be more blessed. A legacy for Esau's people is a cup of bitterness, and nobody is able to break that cycle now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for just this little devotional from Moses' uh, appeal to the king of Edom. Help us, Lord, to learn from these lessons, not to waste time and effort trying to forge our own path, but to follow your lead, for the sons of God are those who are led by God, as your word tells us. And help us to know, Lord, when enough is enough with people, that when they say no, Instead of making things worse with more words that we would just look to you for guidance and wisdom. Now what do we do, Lord? Not more words, but more faith and more prayer and more fasting. And then help us, Lord, to treasure our kinships, our relationship within the family, the sacred holy family of brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and husbands and wives to recognize that and, and, and Lord, to, to honor that by doing our best to conform to your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. You know, Jacob and Esau serve as a type of nature for the Christian. And Esau serves as the sinful nature, a picture. So in our hearts, we all have an Edomite. 
that seeks to be just like these guys. Whenever you hear the Edomites speaking, and you will until the day you die, you carry that nature. We need to crucify it, ignore it, reckon it's dead, rid ourselves of it, take it off. There are a lot of metaphors to deal with it. The second you hear an Edomite thought, bitterness, unforgiveness, a lack of fear of God, a selfishness, a digging in your heels, man, just do as I do. And even today, just getting down on my knees right when God speaks to me and softening my heart and saying, God, that's an Edomite speaking. That's Esau. God, I repent of that. I don't embrace that. Cleanse me of that. Help me with that. Because even if you are a Christian, to act like an Edomite will not bring blessing. <laughs> It'll just get you around the mountain one more time. So, Father God, give us the grace to, to be aware, to live self-aware lives. Listening to our own conversations in our head and monitoring the, the thoughts and feelings of our hearts. So that we would be able to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And when Esau wants his bowl of lentils at any cost, may we denounce him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the born-again person who resides in us by the power of the new life of Jesus Christ put that beast down so that we could be blessed and have life and peace and blessing instead of bitterness and brokenness and chastisement, God, and passing it on to others, the worst part of it all. So save us, Lord, from ourselves. Fill us with your spirit. If we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of our sinful nature. So thank you for your promises and the tools to walk with you uprightly and in a blessed way. We surrender ourselves to your will. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.